Welcome. Hi, I'm Chris Hemsworth. No, wait, sorry. I'm Ethan Sachs, writer of Star Wars Bounty Hunters, Old Man Hawkeye, and A Haunted Girl. My name is George Mann, and I'm the writer of Newbreen Hobbs, Witchwood, and Star Wars The High Republic. This is Kevin Shinnick, writer of Star Wars Force Collector. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you're listening. To Star Wars comics and canon, the Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings another High Republic book review. So my friends, I am tackling the anthology series called The High Republic Tales of Light and Life. This is 10 short stories taken from the various phases of the High Republic, kind of teetering on phase three because that's only just launched with the Eye of Darkness book by George Mann, as well as the Shadows of Starlight comic series by Charles Saul, which is kind of bridging the gaps and stuff. And then obviously the High Republic series, as in the Marvel ones, that's just started up as well. But these stories kind of serve as epilogues or prologues or in-between chapters, in essence, between phase one and two before phase three kicks off. So there's quite a few of them. I managed to get my hands on the Barnes & Noble edition, which at the moment is only available in America. But I have my good friend Tony Farina to thank because he purchased it and sent it to me across the globe. So I love him dearly for that. So shout out to Tony Farina. Check out Indie Comics Spotlight on Comics in Motion. And check out his book, Welcome to Mansfield. It's fantastic. But if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have this. I would have the normal edition, which only has nine short stories. So we'll be tackling all ten of them, including the Alyssa Wong story, Rogue Element, which it's really, really good, actually. I'm surprised that was the one that kind of got chosen to be the special edition one, but uh, I've got my own thoughts on that. But if you've not joined me before on any of my book reviews or on the show, hello there. I hope you have a good time. In essence, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my spoiler-free thoughts, give you a little bit of summary on this, and then I'll give you some warning with my spoiler-filled thoughts and talk about these in a little bit more detail. Usually in my book reviews, I do it in three parts, spoiler-free, minor spoilers, major spoilers, but because all of these stories are only like 30 to 50 pages long, it's quite hard to do kind of middle ground stuff, so it's just going to be spoiler-free to begin with and then fully spoiler afterwards, and I will give people ample warning. But in short, I really, really enjoyed this. I I was surprised, actually, because I'm not generally the biggest fan of the anthology books. Uh, Now, there are the certain point of view novels for A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. I read all of the A New Hope ones and was not overly a fan. There was like two or three that were phenomenal. But the rest of them, they were okay. There was way too much in the cantina. It really did not interest me. That was before I started this podcast. It's one of the first Star Wars books I actually read. And then I got the Empire Strikes Back one because I'm trying to be a Star Wars completionist where I can. And then I bought the Return of the Jedi one for two reasons. The first reason is because I interviewed Adam Christopher recently, and he is one of like three authors who's had a story in all of these certain point of view novels, and I wanted to make sure I read all of his Star Wars works before interviewing him. Had a great time speaking with him. That conversation should be out in the next week or two, I think, on the feed of Genuine Chit Chat. Also at youtube.com slash Genuine Chit Chat as well, if you want to watch the video version of that. He was very, very kind with his time, very generous, and he gave me a full hour. So he spoke about Shadow of the Sith and his certain point of view books and stuff. The other reason is actually because of an individual called Mary Kenny. She's actually one of the writers on Spider-Man Miles Morales. She's one of the writers in the upcoming The Wolverine game as well. She also released a book called Gamer Girls, and she had a story in Return of the Jedi as well. So I was very excited to read that. She came on Genuine Chit Chat, I think, in 2022. She's an absolutely incredible individual. Please follow her on social media and support her where you can, and go check out that conversation with her. So those are the two reasons that I got the Return of the Jedi one. I got it in hardback, even though my other certain point of view ones are in paperback. But that little side tangent out the way, in essence, I'm not generally a fan of anthology, just even outside of Star Wars. Like, I've read a few anthology books and stuff. Sometimes you get them that are really great stories, great ideas and stuff. But a lot of the time, I just feel like either the story didn't go anywhere and felt a bit wasted, or when I'm really interested by it, I'm really, really invested, and then it ends and that's it. And it's like, I basically feel like I'm either wasting my time or getting teased a little bit. But what I like about these is that these add on to pre-existing works. There's only a couple which kind of introduce characters that I suspect may play a part in phase three as we go forward. There's a couple that I'll delve into a bit later on that I'm almost certain will. But these aren't just these random individual stories. They're adding on to already established things, which is something that I really like. Now, granted, the certain point of view books do kind of do that because they know adding on to things in the films. But a lot of the certain point of view novels, I'd say probably half of the stories in them ish are to do with characters that either have no dialogue 
aren't really named in the film or barely really do anything. You know, there's a couple where they get a couple of Force Ghost stories, which are generally my favourite ones. You get, you know, characters that are made popular in the comics or books that haven't appeared in the films. You kind of find out what happened to them in the meantime. You know, people like Jackson or Dr. Afra, things like that. But a lot of the time, it's like a random character you've never heard of, who just in the corner of their eye watches Luke, Han and Leia like run past them, and then is kind of pondering what craziness they're doing, and then continues on with their day. Sometimes they're really good, sometimes you get a bit more intrigue into the Empire, or Rebellion, or like normal lives and things, but quite a lot of the time I just found they didn't add anything to the canon. You know, especially, I know I've gone about it, but the Cantina stories were really weak. No shade on the authors that wrote them, I think there were like six of them or something but they just went on forever and they're all regarding characters that we see for like one or two seconds in the cantina and it's just like you read all that stories i can barely remember them but they have no impact at all whereas when you read the story i think it's by claudia gray which is when obi-wan becomes a force ghost it's either that or it's when obi-wan's talking to force ghost qui-gon that's really interesting that adds a lot for me personally so that's just kind of my issue with anthologies in general but i really really enjoy these because they're building off stuff and As everyone who has been a regular listener will know, I absolutely adore the High Republic. It's my favourite thing of Star Wars. You know, I love Star Wars Rebels. That's my favourite on-screen Star Wars. Obviously, I really enjoy the movies. I love a lot of the games like The Force Unleashed and Jedi Survivor, Jedi Fallen Order and stuff. Obviously, I generally just enjoy pretty much all Star Wars content. I think Resistance is the only stuff that's really fallen short, as in the series Resistance, not uh, the the people in the Resistance. Um, But the High Republic is my favourite piece of Star Wars. Like, media is my favourite era. I absolutely adore it, and I've been making my way through all pieces of content. So again, if you haven't joined the show before, check out the prior episodes I've done. If you're on YouTube, there's a playlist for that. If you're on the feed of Styles Comics in Canon, it's anything with THR in front of it, so you should be able to just search that in a podcast app. Or if you're on the feed of Comics in Motion, you just have to scroll back and kind of find it. I've done book reviews on every single book in Phase 1 and Phase 2. That's the young adult, the junior, and also the adult ones. I've also done the manga and all the comics and even all the short stories, apart from the Tales of Enlightenment short stories written by George Mann, because the collection of those is going to be released in, I think, early 2024, and I don't buy Star Wars Insider, and that's where you get those short stories in general. But yeah, there's all little side tangents and stuff. Make sure you check out all my other High Republic content, and uh, once I've done this podcast, so later this evening, I'm actually going to start reading Eye of Darkness, but I didn't want to start reading that until I'd done this, because I didn't want the knowledge from the Eye of Darkness to kind of taint what is in this book and my review of it and how important certain things are. I'm trying to do it somewhat on an individual basis, and then if I read Eye of Darkness and there's certain connections there, then I can say, hey, I read Eye of Darkness and there's a connection to XYZ in there, kind of doing it in release order. So that's some very light preamble. I will note here that the Shadows of Starlight comics go well with this absolutely spectacularly. Because where these are connecting the dots between Phase 2 and Phase 1, or Phase 1 and Phase 3, the Shadows of Starlight is taking place in the year between Phase 1 and Phase 3. Now just a little reminder for yourselves, Phase 1 of the High Republic, which was the first stuff that was released, that is set around 200 years before the Skywalker Saga, so Phantom Menace takes place 32 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is A New Hope, and so this is 200 years before that, so it's approximately 232 years before the Battle of Yavin. Phase 1 takes place over between like 1 and 2 years-ish, that's generally how it is, whereas Phase 2 is a prequel to that. Phase 2 takes place 150 years before Phase 1, so I believe that Phase 2, generally the time scale, it takes place over I think 6 months to a year, and that's around 382 years before the Battle of Yavin, and then Phase 3 is taking place 1 year after Phase 1, so Phase 3 will be taking place I believe around 230 to 229 years before the Battle of Yavin, so I'm trying to do mental maths going backwards and forwards. But yeah, essentially that the timescales that we're speaking about. So obviously with 150 years between Phase 2 and Phase 1, that's quite a jump, but only a year or so between Phase 1 and Phase 3, there's a lot more interconnectivity. And as I mentioned Shadows of Starlight, I believe that's going to be a four-issue comic series. As of recording this, I've read the first two issues. I think issue three gets released in sort of mid-December, and then issue four I think should be January. I'm very excited about those because issues one and two were absolutely brilliant. If you're listening to this and the Shadows of Starlight trade paperback is out, or if it's on Marvel Unlimited or you can get your hands on them, I'd really, really recommend them because these two marry together so well. And again, I've only read the first two issues of Shadows of Starlight, so we'll see what issues three and four are, but I'm very excited about those. And before we delve into more in-depth my thoughts, I'll give you my loose ideas on each of the individual stories, I better go through what the individual stories actually are. So three of them take place in Phase 2, two of them take place in Phase 1, and then five of them take place generally at the end of Phase 1, but before Phase 3, in that kind of very early phase after Claudia Gray's book, The Fallen Star. And I am going to be spoiling elements of Phase 1 here, so be prepared for that if you aren't already aware what happens in Phase 1, which is 
Starlight Beacon gets destroyed by the Nile, and that happens in the book The Fallen Star by Claudia Gray. And so a lot of the sort of post-Phase 1 stories are all centering around that. And the Shadows of Starlight comic series, that's also, you know, focusing on that, hence the name Shadows of Starlight, how everyone is dealing with the trauma of Starlight Beacon falling and how each individual person, be it Jedi or otherwise, kind of deals with that thing happening. So I'm very excited to do an episode on Shadows of Starlight. I will be doing that definitely in the new year. I just want to read it again and talk about it and delve deep into some of the connections because there's a lot of cool stuff, including connections to the manga, which I was not expecting. But I'm getting sidetracked. So here is the list of the individual stories, who wrote them and in what order they are. And then I'll delve into my thoughts a little bit more. So there's the Queen's Bloom, which is about the Grey Larks who are seen in Convergence and Cataclysm. That is written by Zoraida Cordova. And again, that is phase two. Then you've got A Closed Fist Has No Claws. That's written by Tessa Grayton. And that is, again, phase two. And that's from the perspective of Marda Rowe. And that is actually in first person, which is quite interesting because there's not many Star Wars written stories that are in first person. I believe Heir to the Jedi might be in first person, but I haven't read that because I've heard it's generally okay and a lot of people aren't really that fussed by it. And there's one other story in this collection which is also first person, but aside from that, I don't think I've actually read any full stories in first person. They're all pretty much in the third person from my understanding, and in all honesty, I do prefer it that way, but I'll delve into my thoughts there in a moment. Then the third story is Shield of the Jedi by George Mann. That centers around Rupa Natani and her master Salandra Show, and that takes place still in phase two, but that is around three years after the Battle of Jeddah. Then we've got The Lonely Traveller is Home. That's written by Daniel Jose Older, and that is in phase one, shortly before the book Midnight Horizon, also written by Daniel Jose Older, and it centers around Ram Jomaram and also Zine Morala. Then we've got After the Fall, which is written by Claudia Gray. That is at the end of phase one, kind of very start of phase three. That's approximately a day after the fall of Starlight Beacon. And that is centering around Afi Hollow, Leox Gyasi, and Geode. They're characters that are seen in her novels, primarily in Into the Dark and The Fallen Star. Then there's The Force Provides by Justina Ireland. Again, phase one slash phase three. That's weeks or months after the fall of Starlight Beacon. And that is centering around Vernestra Rowe. Then you've got All Jedi Walk Their Own Path. That is by Charles Saul, and that centers around Belzetafar. That starts approximately a month after Starlight Beacon's fall. Then you've got Light in the Darkness by Kevin Scott, and that centers around some new characters. This one is also in first person, around the Anami people, E-N-A-M-I. And that is approximately a year after the fall of Starlight Beacon, it seems. So it's just before Phase 3 kicks off. Then you've got The Call of Coruscant by Lydia Kang, and that is with two new characters as well, which is Miro Lox and Amadeo Azazo, and it kind of swaps between their two perspectives, so I'm interested to talk about that, and that is kind of as Starlight Beacon falls, so it's like just after that time, and again, I'm reading these in order they come up in the book, even though chronologically speaking, they're slightly out of order. And then the last one is Rogue Element by Alyssa Wong, that's featuring the character Crash Ongwa and Savino, and those are characters that are found in Midnight Horizon, and I think they were first introduced in the High Republic Adventures Annual, I think it was 2022, I believe, and um, this was actually the story which was a bonus story, so you can only find it at present in the Barnes & Noble edition of Tales of Light and Life, which I was not overly happy about when I heard that, because, you know, it's quite hard to get books from America and things like that. Obviously, being in the UK, it's a bit easier, and again, hats off to Tony Farina, because he really, really helped me out there. But I know a lot of other people don't have friends in America, have had to spend an absolute ton on shipping. And then obviously people from further around the world, it can be even more difficult. And if you're saying, well, Mike, don't Barnes & Noble deliver to the UK? No, they do not. I think it's due to Brexit, but I'm not delving into the political things of that. It's just a bit annoying, especially at Star Wars Celebration, when it was announced that Alyssa Wong's debut into the High Republic, because previously she'd done uh, the Dr. Afro comics, which are fantastic. Her debut in the High Republic is only going to be found by people who buy the book from Barnes & Noble, which did, you know, jar me uh, quite a bit, and I was quite vocal about that on social media, but I got my hands on it now, so although it's still quite annoying. Hopefully that will come out at some point in some way. I don't know if they'll release like a special edition of this book in the UK, a non-Barnes Noble one, or the short story will be included at the back of another book. I don't really know what they're going to do. I know that Michael Siglane said that he's going to try and figure out a way, and he's kind of one of the individuals who kind of orchestrated the High Republic along with the architects. But in any case, you'll get to hear about that story right towards the end if you haven't already. So again, my thoughts on this is they're really good. They're not all fully consistent. I think there are ones that are stronger than others. There's two stories that really, really stood out as absolutely phenomenal for me. And then there's the rest of them are all pretty good. I did enjoy them and stuff. And then there's one or two that I think were just 
Again, I've got nothing against the authors, but it's just I found that they didn't really add anything. So my personal favourites were All Jedi Walk Their Own Path by Charles Saul. I'll explain why in detail when I get to the spoilery parts, but I absolutely love Belzettafar. He is one of my favourite characters in The High Republic, so I really, really enjoyed that one. And my other one was Daniel Jose Older's The Lonely Traveller Is Home, featuring Ram Dromoram, and he tries to put a party together for Zine Morala because he can see that she's sad and thinks that she's homesick. And Ram is, again, one of my favourite characters in The High Republic, one of my favourite characters in all of Star Wars. He is just so innocent. He is so nice. He's just such a pleasant, happy soul. And I just love him. He's just so nice. And the way he perceives the Force, the way he kind of holds himself, he's like a bit quirky and a bit weird, but everyone kind of loves him anyway. So I really, really connect to Ram as a character. And that story really touched me. And there's a line in it, which I put on social media, but I'll speak about when I do the spoilery stuff, that really touched me. It's quite hard hitting. So those are the two standouts for me personally. Then the next ones I really enjoyed, not in a specific order, but the ones I really enjoyed, there's George Mann's The Shield of the Jedi, which is featuring Rupa Natani's Jedi Trials. So I really liked that. Rupa's one of my favourite characters in Phase 2 of The High Republic, so I really enjoyed that one. Then The Call of Coruscant I really enjoyed as well. That one was quite interesting. You get a little bit of a different perspective. You get a couple of new characters, and I believe one of them does pop up in The Shadows of Starlight as well. So I'm very intrigued to see where they go. I believe that because Lydia, you know, all of these High Republic authors are writing different bits of the High Republic Phase 3 as we go forward. So I suspect that these two characters, Amadeo and Miro, they're going to appear in Lydia Kang's book. So I'm very excited to hear more from them because they did definitely intrigue me. And again, you get like a different perspective on like the Jedi and Coruscant, which I found quite intriguing. Then After the Fall by Claudia Gray with Athi Hollow, Leox, Gaiassi and Geode. I really enjoy that. I like those characters anyway. And because it was like the day after the fall of Starlight, I did like how kind of hard hitting it was. And those are characters I enjoyed anyway. And then you also get Rogue Element, which was one that surprised me. And I started reading it. I was like, oh, it's about Crash. I was like, I didn't. I liked Crash as a character. She wasn't something that was like a standout for me. But in Midnight Horizon, I did enjoy her. And then this story actually made me enjoy her a lot more. And where the story kind of ends up has made me very intrigued for her involvement in uh, Phase 3. Then The Force Provides by Justina Ireland featuring Vanestra Rowe. That is a really good one. It's quite a dark tale, actually, and I did really appreciate that. And Vanestra is one, again, I know I keep saying these are one of my favourite characters in the High Republic. I have a lot of favourite characters in Star Wars. I have a lot of favourite characters in the High Republic. I love them all for very different reasons. That's one of the reasons I love the High Republic so much, because such a diverse amount of Jedi and how they all kind of interact with things. And this is a minor spoiler for the upcoming Acolyte series, but Vanestra Rowe is going to be in that. They announced that at Star Wars Celebration. I was there and I was one of the few who got to see the trailer for the Acolyte and it looks very good. It's the thing I'm most excited for on screen for Star Wars out of everything that's coming out. And Vanestra Rowe is going to be in that. So very, very intrigued to see what they do with her in live action. And she debuted in the junior novels, also known as the middle grade novels. And those are ones that I would say to people, do not skip if you're planning on reading all the High Republic stuff, because the middle grade novels are brilliant. They really, really surprised me how good they were. Then after that, I'd say Light in the Darkness by Kevin Scott. It was an alright story. I did enjoy it to a degree, mainly because of the ending. But for the first sort of half of it, it just kind of plodded along. And I was like, yeah, this is this is okay. I didn't really connect with it as I would with other stories. And again, this is nothing against Kevin Scott or any of the authors. But this is probably my least favourite thing that I've read of Kevin Scott. But again, it's only like 30-something pages long. And I've already started reading the Marvel comics um, of The High Republic again. So he's been doing all those. And I thoroughly enjoyed all of those. So I have no doubt that the way things are going to be going is going to be really great. It was just... This story, I, I just didn't really care about the Inami people, but I'll delve more into that shortly. Then I'd say it's Tessa Grayton's A Closed Fist Has No Claws. I didn't really like it being in first person that much. Again, Kevin Scott's in first person as well. I don't think it really works in Star Wars in the same way. I guess I just don't like first person stories as much. They don't fill me with immersion in the same way. And I find it a little bit harder to follow. When everything's in third person, it's just quite easy to kind of compartmentalize stuff. When it's first person, I find it's a little bit more tricky. I know you get a lot more sort of in-depth views on what the characters are thinking, but then you get like unreliable narrators and stuff like that. But with Tessa Grayton, it was about Marda Rowe. And I did like Marda Rowe in Path of Deceit and Path of Vengeance. I liked her a lot more in Path of Deceit. And then Path of Vengeance, you can kind of see how she's going. But I just wasn't that intrigued by her character. So when I got this book, I was like, this didn't really add anything, in my opinion. It, it just, I was like, oh, cool, Marta Rose story. We're going to really see how, you know, the path of the open hand and then the path of the close fist kind of become the Nile. And it does kind of explain it, but it's really just something that probably could have been explained in like three sentences. So I'm just like, it didn't really add anything. And in honesty, the way I thought about it in my own head of how it kind of transitioned is pretty much how it shows. But again, it still doesn't really add that much. But uh, 
That was my own opinion. And then my least favourite story of them was The Queen's Bloom, which is featuring Axel Greylark. This was set before anything in Phase 2. It's about Axel Greylark going to college, essentially, or being like in a party thing. I just found it really boring. I, I, I really like Axel Greylark as a character, but I like it when he's torn and when he's like kind of fighting with himself, trying to work out how he's going to be doing stuff. But in this, it was just like, here's what Axel was like before his dad died. And I was like, oh, still kind of a dick then. And it's just like, it's, it didn't, again, it didn't really add anything for me. When I read the first little bit of the thing, I was like, oh, this is going to be about Axel. We're going to hear a little bit about him in the past and then see what happened to him after Cataclysm. No, it, it was no closure for Axel. It just, it felt like a completely unnecessary story, to be honest with you. And I just, I read it and I was like, oh, if all the stories are going to be like this, I'm not going to have the best time. But uh, they're not, fortunately. Again, nothing against Zoraida Cordova. I did like her book, Convergence. I thought it was good. I did enjoy Cataclysm substantially more, but I did still think it was a good book. So I am still intrigued to see what she writes in Phase 3 of The High Republic. But yeah, this story was by quite a long shot the weakest. So I was going to say, obviously, please try and pick up this book and please read all the stories, you know, have a good complete idea. But if you really had to cherry pick and only read a couple, I would probably say the ones you kind of need to read is All Jedi Walk Their Own Path is an absolute must read. That's the story which I say is the most important one out of all of them. Then after that, I'd probably say that The Call of Coruscant and Rogue Element are fairly important as well. And then following those, I'd probably say The Force Provides and After the Fall. And then all the other ones are kind of in themselves. I mean, again, I loved Shield of the Jedi. It gives some great information on Rupa Natani. But Rupa as a character has no impact as of yet to my knowledge of what happens in Phase 3. There is a little thread that I think was intentional and I have my own theories as to how that's going to affect Phase 3. But even so, without that little thread in this story, I still think the end goal of what I think might happen would really still work in the same way. So that's kind of my thoughts on these as a general overview. Obviously, I can't spend too long just going through every single one of these stories because I can't have this podcast being longer than the actual audiobook of these because that would be madness. But again, I enjoyed them all, apart from probably, to be honest, Queen's Bloom, I didn't really enjoy, actually, if I'm being completely honest with you, I did think that one was, was quite weak. Again, I, nothing against Zoraida's writing. I don't think the writing of it is bad. I just think the content is boring. I don't know if that was, like, herself if she chose that, or I don't know if someone else kind of pushed her to write that. Um, but yeah, it just, for me, it just fell flat. And uh, the Marder Row one, I thought, was pretty weak as well, to be honest with you. Those, those first two stories were actually a bit of a rocky start for me, but then I do think it really did pick up. So yeah, that's my overview of things. So that's if you don't want any more spoilers about these short stories, then I'd say you've got to stop listening here. Please make sure you subscribe and like and share and all that kind of other usual jazz um, before going away. But this is your spoiler warning. So I'm now going to delve a little bit deeper into each of these stories, what I think it means for the future and why I've enjoyed them or maybe didn't enjoy them. So we'll go in chronological order because it's easier. So I'll start with Zoraida Cordova's. So this one, Axel and a couple of friends go to this elite party. There's the other Greylocks there, as in Axel's mother and father. So they hide in the kitchen. They end up interacting with Alicia Deveron. And then there's a bit of betrayal. There's a bit of back and forth. There's some jewelry that's stolen. There's like a debt to the huts and things. There's like, you know, mischievous stuff going on with teenagers. And then it kind of ends with Axel's dad saying he's proud of him and that's more or less it. Like I'm really, really summarizing these things here. Like obviously I do want to give you a gist of the story, but I don't want to just tell you the whole story because I would appreciate all of you trying to pick up these collections and reading them or listening to the audiobooks where you can. But yeah, I just felt this had no impact on the story. It didn't add anything to Axel's character for me personally, apart from showing, yeah, before his dad died, he actually seemed to be an all right moral kid. And it's like, okay, he's still a bit of a dick but it clearly showed that his dad passing away was the thing that really broke him. But that was very, very clear in both of the books he was featured in. That was like, we were like hit over the head with the fact. In fact, Axel says it several times. So it's like, I didn't really need yet another story to show that. It just added nothing. And I would have much rather see him kind of his recovery post uh, Cataclysm, see what he kind of does. But we didn't get that. Maybe it's going to be in phase three. There's probably going to be some sort of throwbacks. But yeah, that just did not interest me at all. Very weak story. In honesty, if that had been the bonus story... I'd have been much happier about that because I'd have been like, yeah, this can be an add-on if you want to buy a Barnes & Noble instead of Alyssa Wong's story, which was actually one of my favourites. So uh, a little bit jaded about the whole uh, the bonus story thing, as you can tell. And then there's Tessa Grayton's story about Marder Rowe. Again, it's in the first person, not a fan of that. And Marder as a character was very intriguing to me, but she kind of got less interesting as she kind of went down the darker path. And don't get me wrong, I like a fallen hero story, but Marder didn't intrigue me as much. I much prefer it when people are conflicted, Marder didn't really seem that conflicted. And then this story, it was essentially her just slowly changing into the eye of the Nile. She's gathering up people, and they're not called the Nile at this point, 
but she searches for more Evereni that was was kind of interesting. She does find some more, and then there's some fighting and killing and things like that, and then she finds someone who I assume is Markion Rose, like, great-great-grandfather or something like that, or maybe it's just grandfather. It's 200 years. I don't know how long Evereni live, but the whole story is kind of Marda writing seemingly in a journal or some sort of thing that's going to be passed down. I presume that at some point Markion Rowe is going to be reading that in one of the books and he's going to name drop Marda Rowe and then it's going to be like, oh, that's the connection there. But aside from that, it just didn't really feel that exciting to me. I wasn't like really excited to what's going to happen next because where there's only two known Evereni at the time of Path of Vengeance ending, it either had to be Yana or Marda Rowe who became Markion's ancestors. And I was pretty certain it would be Marda, and it was seemingly confirmed. So, yeah, it was all right. Just Marda becoming more brutal, showing that Evereni need to do things to survive. And that's kind of a given. If the story didn't exist, I would have just assumed all the same stuff. So, again, it filled in a bit of a gap, but it wasn't a gap that I was desperately wanting to fill because I kind of just assumed it happened in this way anyway. And then we move on to George Mann's Shield of the Jedi story featuring Rupa Natani. Now, this was one of my favourite ones, and Rupa, again, one of my favourite characters. Solandra Show, really interesting character. She's a Jedi who has a shield. She is present in the Battle of Jeddah, and she pops up in little bits and pieces across Phase 2 of the High Republic, but I think the Battle of Jeddah is where we get the most of her. But she has a shield, which is really cool, and in essence, this story is she's putting Rupa through her trials. And the way she does that is she hides her shield somewhere on Batu for Rupa to find. Batu being where Rupa and Solandra are based, and that's where Galaxy's Edge, the theme park at Disney World and stuff, that's where that is based. So whenever there's some Galaxy's Edge content and Black Spy Outpost, that is always Batu. So Rupa has to basically go around with the P3 droid, who's the droid from the Church of the Force that only speaks in like, I can't remember what they're called, but it only speaks in like proverbs and ancient sayings and things and the way it is is very clever the way george mann wrote it in battle of Jeddah, very very cleverly done I, I very much enjoy the character especially hearing it in the audio drama of battle of Jeddah. really good but essentially she has to go around and searches for this shield and she eventually realizes that it got left somewhere intentionally it got stolen by this ancient creature thing that's like been stealing stuff around the village and then she has to go there and get it back from them and then learns along the way that the creature, although it seems to be a menace and a lot of village folk want to kill the creature, it was actually helping them because it was killing off this nest of giant venomous spider things. And so she basically stops the villagers from killing it, manages to recover the shield and also recovers a droid for a local villager and then kind of explains to them the importance of keeping balance with this creature. I think it's called a Salmaka is the name. It's like a giant lizard thing. But I really like Rupert. She's a really cool character. And the reason I mentioned I think there may be connections to this in the future is because the way the trial ends is Rupert gets the shield from Solandra Show. As in, she finds the shield, she gives it back to Solandra and says, here you go, here's the shield and stuff. And Solandra's like, no, the shield's yours now. And Rupert's like, what? And then it turns out that Solandra Show's master passed the shield on to her when she passed her Jedi trials and so on and so on. So Rupert, I assume, is going to have a Jedi Padawan, is going to give them the shield. And then over, I mean, it's 150 years, so I would presume it's probably going to be passed down somewhere between three to five times, I guess, maybe around that mark. And then I assume the shield is going to pop up at some point in phase three and there'll be a name drop going out. Oh yeah, Salandra Show and Rupa Natani passed it down and then my master's master's master gave it to me. Or, or maybe someone's just going to pop up with the shield and this story kind of explains how they got it. Not really sure, but I just thought the story, it really wrapped up Rupa's story quite nicely. There's quite a lot of closure to it. We got more from Rupa, which is cool and cool stuff about the shield. So, and there's a nice little lesson in there and it's a bit of bad too. So I really enjoyed that. I did feel like it actually finished off a story for Rupa. It wasn't fully necessary. Is it going to be that important to the canon or to the High Republic as a whole? Probably not, but it was a fun, good story to read. So then we move on to the stories that kind of take place in phase one. So Daniel Jose Older's story, The Lonely Traveller is Home, Ram, Jomoram, and Zine Morala as well. So they debuted in the High Republic Adventures comics. So, well, Ram Jomoran debuted in the Race to Crash Point Tower junior novel, which is written by Daniel Jose Older, and Zine Morala featured in the High Republic Adventures comics, which is the all-ages comics published by IDW Publishing. And I, I really rate those comics, actually. Don't, don't skip on those. But in essence, Ram is a little bit homesick, but sees that Zine Morala is quite sad, and so he tries to orchestrate a party for her. This all takes place just before Midnight Horizon, and it's all on Starlight Beacon from my knowledge, and Ram's kind of going around Starlight, trying to talk to lots of different people, trying to like find out the best way to make Zine happy. He's got all these ideas and things, but every time he keeps going, people are busy, and this thing isn't available, and that thing isn't available, and he's getting more and more sad because he's like, oh, I really want to do something for her. And then the end of the story is just beautiful, where she actually 
has organized a party for him. And the reason that no one was available was because she'd already organized a party for him because she noticed that he felt a bit homesick and stuff. And then they both have this really nice embrace where she realizes how much effort he was trying to put in to make her happy. And some of the elements of the party that he was going to do for her, like this holographic projection of her like homestead to put in a room to make her feel less homesick, she did for him. And it's just this really nice, beautiful story. Again, impact on the canon, very low. If anything, it's it's completely almost inconsequential because we see what Ram and Zine Morala are like in Midnight Horizon, but it does further help show that closeness that they grew and they both feel like outsiders. And it's just a really nice, touching story. And the line in it, which I said that I post on social media, which did like really hit me, was at one point Ram sees that Zine Morala's like laughing and stuff after she'd been crying and stuff. She was crying to him in private and then she's laughing with her friends and stuff, Lula Talasola, uh, Fasala, Quart, those sort of characters that are in the High Republic Adventures comics. And then the line goes, Ram knew as well as anyone that the saddest people sometimes had the biggest smiles. And I was like, oof, that is a that is a big line. That is very, very strong. And a lot of people, including myself, first person you think of when I read that, Robin Williams. When I read that to Megan, Robin Williams. I posted it on social media, someone commented going, oh, this makes you think of Robin Williams. And it's like, yep, that is it's one of the great tragedies. And so I just think that was a really, really powerful line in amidst a story that is is got a lot of heart to it. I think that's what I like most about Ram. So uh, that's my kind of views on that story. So moving on, we go on to Claudia Gray's After the Fall. So this is one day after Starlight Beacon fell. It's from the crew of The Vessel, Afi Hollow, Leox, Gaiassi, and Geode. And they're on Aram, which is where Starlight fell. And Afi just feels a little bit hopeless because she really wants to help out. And she kind of comes to terms with the fact that she can try and help as much as she can, but she can't undo the damage of Starlight Beacon falling. She manages to like talk to a few people. There's like an interaction with Avar Chris and stuff. And then she kind of puts pieces together to try and rebuild the Bind Guild, which is something that collapsed. I think it's noted in, is it Out of the Shadows? It's in one of the books of Afi Hollow, where in essence, she finds out that her adoptive mother who was uh, the creator of the Bind Guild, I think it's Scooter or Scoover, I think her name is. And the Bind Guild had a lot of people who were, I think it's indentured, which essentially where you make you make someone who's in so much debt, you make them work for you, but you keep charging them stuff, you know, charge them for the ship that they hire, charge them for the food, charge them for this, charge them for that. And you basically put them in a cycle where they can never actually get out of your service. So it's kind of like slavery. You are technically paying them, but they are in so much debt that they could never really get out of the debt. So it's not explicitly slavery, but it's pretty, pretty close. And it's very, very immoral. And it does happen in real life. Uh, I think less so now, I hope, but it it does happen. And so Afi is kind of struggling with dealing with the fall of Starlight. And then she kind of tries to figure out a way to like recreate the Bind Guild. And then like a month or so afterwards, she does kind of start putting those threads together. So I assume that that kind of stuff is going to start happening in phase three. But I really like that story. It's nice. It's good to show what Afi Hollow and the gang are up to after the fall of Starlight Beacon. And it kind of puts those breadcrumbs in, which I assume is going to be important in phase three about the Bind Guild or whatever ends up replacing the Bind Guild. So yeah, I enjoyed that. Not overtly essential, but it's a good read, especially if you've been reading the other uh, young adult novels in phase one. Then there's The Force Provides, which is Justina Ireland's story with Vanestra Rowe. Now, this one was quite brutal. So it starts off with Vanessa Rowe struggling because she believes that her Padawan, Imri Kantaros, as well as Avon Staros and J6 have all died. Now, she doesn't know this. And from what I understand, I think Imri is alive because we don't explicitly get confirmation of this. I don't think they would announce the death of quite a major character in a short story. And also, I'm fairly sure when we're at Star Wars Celebration, when they announce the Phase 3 books, one of the books, I think it's the YA book, it might even be Defy the Storm, I believe they mentioned Imri's name in that, and I think it's kind of around Vanestra Rowe, so I have a feeling that he is going to pop up again, I think that he hasn't actually died. But also, Vanestra is dealing with the death, of course, of Stellan Geos, who obviously died with Starlight Beacon, he's the hero of the Republic at the moment, because he steered Starlight Beacon out of the way of the city on Aram, into the ocean, and so saving thousands of people's lives, and obviously in doing so, he died to do that. And he was Vanestra Rowe's master, so she was very close to him. So she's feeling very, very alone. She's lost her Padawan, she's lost a lot of her friends, and she's also lost her master, while also dealing with just the trauma of Starlight Beacon in itself falling. And she wasn't on Starlight Beacon when it fell, she was off doing something else, and therefore she feels extra guilt because she thinks, oh, if I was there, could I have saved Stellan? Could I have saved Imri? Those sorts of things. So she essentially goes off on herself. She's kind of like being a Jedi Wayseeker. She doesn't really tell anyone. She just kind of goes. She finishes like a mission she was doing with a fellow Jedi and then just kind of says, like, I'm going to I'm gonna bounce and goes off, lets the Force guide her. 
she comes across a Togruta woman and then kind of helps her on her like little mission and just kind of saves this little village and this like town, this fishing town and this like planet of being controlled by this very greedy guild. And she just kind of helps that happen. And then in return, she gets told about this planet called Ib, I think, I-B-B-E, which is essentially unknown to anyone. I think it might have like some connection to the force. And so this Togruta woman tells Vanestra, you can go there, be by yourself, collect your thoughts, kind of deal with this grief. So I presume once again in phase three, when we pick up where Vanestero was, she will probably be on Ib where the story starts. So I think that's kind of important to the canon. Again, I mentioned earlier the slight spoiler for the Acolyte, Vanestero is going to be in there. And so I presume that she's going to, maybe she might go down a slightly darker path. Maybe phase three is going to really, really kick her down. And I think this might be just like almost foreshadowing on what's going to happen to her. But um, I'm very, very intrigued by that. And it was a good story. I I was intrigued of where it was going to go. Then we move on to All Jedi Walk Their Own Path, which is Charles Saul's story. I believe this is the biggest, the longest story. I think it might have been split into two in the non-Barnes Noble edition, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But it is quite a long story. And this is quite big spoilers, just to let you know. Uh, but Bel Zetafar is searching for Buryaga. And the spoiler is, he finds Buryaga. Now, anyone who pays attention to the High Republic show or a lot of the announcements with the High Republic, they did announce, I think, a couple of months ago, the Buryaga... Uh, would survive or that there'll be a story about Buriaga. You know, all of the other Jedi that we've kind of heard about, they've either gone missing or they've been confirmed dead. Buri was one that no one wanted to die. And the way the Fallen Star ended, it doesn't say, you know, Buri was dead. It's like Buri's disappeared and now Bell is going to search for him. And it's like he probably wouldn't spend all that effort trying to search for someone just to find them dead. It would be a bit of a brutal thing considering all the other death that surrounded it. So Bell's story is really, really good. Very well written. I think it's probably the best written story in this collection where you've got like a flashback story of Bell and Loden Greatstorm. So we get a bit more Loden, which is great. I've been watching the Young Jedi Adventures. And so we get a bit of Bell and Loden there as well. But you get a story of Bell and Loden where Loden Greatstorm is teaching Bell a lesson. So in essence, they go to this planet that has been constantly, there's civil war going on. The Republic send over negotiators to try and sort out the civil war. They've been warring for decades, if not, I think centuries, maybe. Nothing can break through, just constantly. All the buildings are like always broken and stuff because there's just war going on so often. These negotiators get sent there. They fail miserably, get taken as hostages immediately. But the the flashback starts just after Bell and Loden have rescued the hostages. And then Bell's like, right, we're going to go then. And Loden's like, no, there's more work to do. And all they do is they just go around the village and they just do odd jobs for people. They they help people. They do fixer-upper things. So Loden likes buys drinks for everyone in this cantina. And then he tries to give Republic credits. And then the barman goes, well, this there's no good here. You need to use, you know, the, the local currency. And Loden's like, okay, well, I'll do some jobs to pay it off. Um, I see there's a big hole in the roof of your bar. Can we fix it for you? So they spend a few days fixing that to kind of pay back all the drinks they bought for people while also obviously, you know, buying food and etc. And then after that, they go and help someone else. They help like unclog some sewers. They help rebuild a few things. They help take care of problems. And then slowly over time, it shows that the village people actually stop being so like angry and hating each other and even hating the Jedi. And they start to change their perspectives. They start actually helping people and realizing that what the Jedi are doing is great. And they start giving a gift freely given, I think is the term used, which is a a phase two path of the open hand kind of phase. But in essence, they're given things. They get like this hamper of food and these people say, look, we're really happy with what you've done. You've really changed our perspectives. We never thought this planet could change with all the war that's going on. We just thought this was our life. And so they learned and then they're going to go to other villages and other settlements and try and help these other villages and settlements. And Loden's like, hopefully this over time will slowly change the planet's mindset and might even end the civil war. And that's a really powerful lesson in itself. That's a really strong lesson. That's another showing that Loden Greatstorm is one of the most ideal Jedi that exists. He's, he's incredible. And so it really teaches Bell something. And so in the modern day, these flashbacks, you get like a flashback paragraph and then a modern day paragraph back and forth. Bell basically goes to search for Buri. Uh, the Jedi Council think the Buri's gone. Uh, the Republic forces can't spare any resources trying to save one Jedi that, or one Jedi Padawan that may or may not be gone. So Bell essentially goes around Aram and he becomes a fisherman. He's just on this boat and he just wants to be the best fisherman he can be. And he mentions Buri a little bit, but he doesn't force the crew or ask them to help him look for Buri. He's like, can I just be on your ship? And then if we see anything to do with my missing friend, we can maybe go there a little bit. But for initially, they're really reserved. But because Bell is so helpful and really genuinely wants to just help them all become better fishermen and things like that, then he learns the rays of the trade. He helps the crew, all that kind of stuff. 
And over time, the captain, you know, trusts him more and more. And then eventually they start finding these weird talismans around. And then Bell manages to get his hands on one, notices that it's Wookiee hair. And then he's like, oh my God, this might be Buri. Because where Starlight Beacon fell on Aram, if Buri did fall out somewhere, then he might be on the planet. And eventually Bell does, you know, they collaborate with other captains and things. And because people are now willing to help out the Jedi, because Jedi sentiment's quite low on Aram, because people of Aram somewhat blame the Jedi for Starlight Beacon crashing on their planet and stuff. And Bell basically eventually finds Biryaga. And it's just a really, really beautiful time because Bell can't give up on Buri because Bell gave up looking for Loden Greatstorm. And then after he did, he finds Loden after he's been tortured and stuff. And then Loden dies. And so Bell can't have that happen again. And all the Jedi Council were like, he needs to learn to let go. But in actual fact, it was the opposite. His compassion really did lead him. It's just, it's a beautiful story. It's quite a long one. There's lots of little connections here and there and stuff. There's like a ship called the Queen Ziri, which is from phase two. There's a tale of Shaheen, I think it is. There's like a cave, which is what Buryag is found in. And that's from like the Legends of Luke Skywalker book. Loads of cool connections I really enjoy, but it's just a beautiful, great story. And again, this is probably the most important one to canon because Buri's back. And I think in Eye of Darkness that Buri and Bell are going to be there. And so I think that we get to kind of, we get to find out what happened there. Whereas I assume in Eye of Darkness, there's only going to be like a kind of a, a throwaway line about it. But uh, yeah, loved that story. Definitely the must read of the book. Then we get to Kevin Scott's story. So Light in the Darkness. So again, this in first person, not a fan of that in general. It's with these people called the Anami, who I think are completely new to Star Wars. There's a sister whose perspective it's from, which is Kian, she's 17, and her brother Hoy, who's 14. It's about a year after the fall of Starlight Beacon. And in essence, the Huts have taken over their planet, killed a lot of the people, stolen a lot of the food. And so Kian and Hoy go and try and steal some food back for their starving villagers. And then the Huts find out an attack is going to be put on the rest of the villagers. But then the Jedi show up and save the day. The whole time, the sister, Kian, is she has her faith in the Jedi, whereas Hoy, the brother, doesn't. And then Keeve Trennis shows up along with Serret and Terek, who are the two twins. And they show up, save the day, defeat the Huts and all that. And everything's essentially well. We get a bit of Keeve stuff, which is really nice. Keeve Trennis is a really, really interesting character, but really it doesn't add anything to the canon. It really does feel like an anthology story. It just kind of feels inconsequential. We just get confirmation that Keeve is cool. That's realistically, that's all we really get. And a lot of people start to lose their faith because the Jedi are so quiet for so long after the fall of Starlight, because as shown in the Shadows of Starlight comics, all the Jedi get called back to Coruscant. Not all the Jedi go back to Coruscant, but the majority of them do. So the planet is just kind of left to deal with raiders and the Nile and the huts and other people taking advantage of the chaos. So, you know, it's an alright story, but it's it's not a must read. It's not that great. And the importance to canon is next to zero. So the penultimate story, The Cool of Coruscant. This is one of my favourite ones. So this is with Miro Locks and Amadeo Azazo or Azazo. And that's by Lydia Kang. And so this is like the day that Starlight falls. You get a bit of interaction between, they're a master and a Padawan. So Miro is the master, Amadeo is the Padawan. They've been out on the Outer Rim for a long period of time doing all these missions and stuff. And Amadeo is kind of clambering to interact with some people his own age. They go back to Coruscant because, again, they get called back after Starlight falls. And then they go to sleep before like the big day where lots of announcements happen. And then in the evening, Amadeo goes off into the world and well, goes off into Coruscant. He meets this uh, teenage girl and then she takes him along with her friends to like a few bars to have some drinks and stuff. And she's just really intrigued by him, talks to him, and he gets like an idea of what life would be like if he wasn't a Jedi. And for a while, he's kind of pondering things. He's like interested, would I become a Jedi? Do I want this? Would I rather just be able to have a normal life? But then he slowly starts to kind of figure out that Coruscant isn't all it's cracked up to be. A lot of people there are very shallow. They don't really have direction. And the story he kind of learns is that the Force is his anchor. Meanwhile, we get perspectives from Miro, which is him talking to other Jedi about what to do after Starlight Falls and what his mission's going to be. But also him thinking about Amadeo and thinking like, I need to learn to trust my Padawan. I'm sure he'll be back in time. Our shuttle leaves like in the morning. Hopefully he'll be there on time. And he does. And they you know talk about stuff. And there's there's a hint that the the Amadeo may have uh, had some physical contact, shall we say, with the fellow teenage girl. They get very close at one point, and then the scene changes, and then the next time we see Amadeo is the following day, and he's on the ship when Miro shows up, and he stinks of booze, looks very tired, and is a bit disheveled. And so he kind of, in my mind, it's almost like the Amish. What they do is when they're teenagers, kind of at some point, they get sent out into the, the normal world in air quotes, and then they're meant to go out there for like a couple of weeks or a month or something and then come back. And then it kind of gives them perspective showing like, that's what the world was like, but the Amish world is the way it is. And you can kind of choose which one you want to live in. That's loosely how I kind of perceived it of my limited understanding of the Amish. 
But I really like that story. And if these characters are going to pop up again in Phase 3, which I think they will, again, Amadeo is very briefly in the Shadow Starlight comic. I'm really intrigued. I, I really like them as characters. I think they're quite complex and quite interesting. So uh, I really liked that. And then the final story is Rogue Element by Alyssa Wong featuring Crash Ongwa and Savino. So again, characters from Midnight Horizon and Crash is like a bodyguard, kind of she has like a, a personal, I can't remember the term, it's like a personal protection agency on Corellia. Corellia is where Solo's from and it's one of the core worlds, it's one of the main places in uh, the galaxy. And after Midnight Horizon, there's this, during Midnight Horizon, there's this big Nile attack that the Jedi and the Republic managed to fend off. But then after the fall of Starlight, a lot of the Jedi withdraw, and then Corellia's kind of in again civil war, like a lot of places are. It's not explicit civil war, but there's a lot of factions siding with the Republic and the Jedi, and a lot of factions siding with the Nile, so there's just lots of fighting, and Crash and Savino are trying to figure it out in essence. Now, the reason I really like this tale is that I like Crash, and Crash is written really well as a Savino, but there's another character that pops up called Rue, and Rue is very close to their master, and they are like fighting off the Nile and all that kind of stuff. And I think this story is showing that it's been months after the fall of Starlight, if not a bit longer than that. But what happens is Rue loses his master and then he essentially kind of goes off the deep end a little bit. In the day, he seems like a fine, normal chap and he works at this like candy stand. But then in the evening, he like puts on a hood, he puts on a Nile mask that he took from somewhere and he goes, finds out where the Nile are and he just kills them. And he quite brutally as well, like Crash watches some CCTV footage and they call him the Jedi Nile before they meet him. And they're like, this guy, I've, like I've seen Jedi, I've seen Wreath Silas and a few other Jedi. I've seen they're very controlled with their maneuvers. They're not very aggressive even when they're like doing a killing blow with a lightsaber. But this guy is like hacking at people and really using aggression. And so it's watching him and then they kind of uh, team up. Crash and Savino kind of help him destroy like a warehouse that's making these scav droids that would destroy Republic ships way worse than the already existing scav droids. And then they kind of offer him an olive branch. They say, look, we can see you're in pain. We can see all this, but we have a crew and we think a Jedi Padawan would fit in really well with this crew. You don't have to be a Jedi. We just want you to basically try and be a good person and try and help Corellia. That's what we're all about. And he really feels that connection and he finally feels like at ease with himself for the first time since his master died. And it's a really touching story. You get it from a um, Rue's perspective and Crash's perspective. It's in third person, but I absolutely love it. I really, really enjoyed the story. I like characters in conflict. I like Jedi when they're unsure of themselves. And Rue going through the grief that he's gone through. Really, really interesting. I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, a story of that caliber. So um, yeah, really enjoyed it. So as a whole, really enjoyed the book. I thought it was a really, really good book. I think it's uh, definitely recommended to people who enjoy The High Republic. Is it essential? No. Um, the the Buriaga story, I'd say, is quite essential. But if you've listened to this and you haven't read the story, then you know the broad strokes of it. And there's other stories which are cool and will have some sort of impact. But this is not an essential read. This is more like completionists only kind of read. Great book, great read, good fun. But unless you're really trying to read all the High Republic content, you don't have to fret and read this one. If you pick up phase three books, everything is probably going to make sense. So that's my kind of thought on this matter. But yeah. I'm really glad I got it. I'm really glad I read it. Even the worst stories, I think it, it, they're fine to read. Uh, I'm glad that there are some you know, very different stories. The way they're told are very different. There's a lot of variation here. And it really showcases what the potential of the High Republic is for anyone who hasn't read the High Republic stuff. So uh, yeah, big thumbs up from me. But this is really where I'm going to start to wrap things up, friends. So, uh, you know, make sure you subscribe if you're on any podcast app. If you're at YouTube, please subscribe. Please hit that like button. Check out my other High Republic content. Please check out some of the High Republic interviews I've done. Uh, this year, I spoke with George Mann. That was great fun. Last year, I spoke with Kevin Scott. And then I've also spoken with Claudia Gray, like just before the High Republic stuff sort of kicked off. So there's a few interviews. There's video versions of the one with Kevin Scott and George Mann. I recently spoke with Ethan Sachs as well. He's not High Republic related. But he does do the Star Wars Bounty Hunters comics, and he's done a lot of other miniseries, including the Galaxy's Edge miniseries anthology and the Helysian Legacy one, which does have a Buriaga High Republic story. So I guess technically he's kind of loosely connected to the High Republic in that regard. Um, really great conversation with him, and I have got a re conversation recorded with Adam Christopher, again, writer of Shadow of the Sith, which is one of the best Star Wars books, in my opinion, both in or out of Legends, as in in canon or in Legends. It's just a phenomenal book. Really enjoy that. And again, he's got a story in every of the certain point of view books. 
So he was great chatting with him. That episode will be out in a couple of weeks. And there is going to be a video version of that as well. And that was about an hour long. So really, really good film. We also spoke about Doctor Who and a few other bits and pieces too. And uh, New Zealand, because that's where he's originally from. So um, a few Star Wars authors coming up. So please subscribe and you won't miss those out. Uh, you can follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. That's on X, Facebook, Instagram, Threads, and on TikTok. And there's like snippets and clips of conversations I've had across all those places. So if you want to dabble in some of the interviews that I've done, you can check those out. I've had lots of interviews with people to do with Star Wars, lots of interviews with people that are just talking about Star Wars and how much it means to them. But a lot of my genuine chit-chat output has nothing to do with Star Wars. I recently spoke to a dentist about sleep apnea, so that was quite a cool one, Dr. Blaine Leeds. I've spoken to plenty of authors, actors, people traveling around the world, uh, lots of different things. Basically, any subject matter that isn't sports or cars, I think are the only two things I've not had like full-blown conversations on. But please check out the playlist on YouTube or please go through Genuine Chit Chat's podcast feed. Check out the episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. You never have to read a Star Wars comic in your entire life. Never have to read a Star Wars book. Just watch the movies and you can enjoy every episode of Star Wars Comics in Canon. And it's a great way to widen your understanding of the Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. So please support me where you can. And I will note later on in the year, I'll give you a little bit more information on what's to come for the future of Styles Comics and Canon, because I'm going to somewhat reduce my output in the new year a little bit just to make it more manageable because I'm getting married next year and I'm going to be in America for a month and there's loads of other things going on. So uh, I'll delve a little bit more into that. But fear not, you will still be getting content from me on Genuine Chit Chat and on this feed as well. And there's still going to be plenty of Styles content coming from you. Um, but I will be doing Clone Wars conversations and stuff as well, which is going to be every month next year, I believe. And myself, Megan, Dave and Maff have just recorded our review of the Clone Wars movie, which is a uh, a somewhat controversial piece of Star Wars content. Uh, so I will be releasing that after the Adam Christopher interview comes out. So I suspect that will come out in sort of mid, maybe early December kind of time. Uh, so before Christmas, there's lots of other cool things going on. And just keep an eye on social media. Keep an eye out for the Disney discussions number 10. We've had loads of submissions for that. So that's great. Myself, Rhea, Dan and Megan are just deciding on our final picks for that. And they'll be putting out a public vote so yourselves can decide which of the four films, which two of those you want us to tackle in the last Disney discussions of the year. But just keep an eye on social media. You know, follow me there. And if you want to support the show in any way, please consider going to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. For as little as £1 a month, you get immediate access to over 190 episodes of Afterthoughts. That's myself and Megan reviewing stuff. And also there's quite a few Star Wars Legends book reviews on there. And I've recently recorded another one. So if you like this kind of style of book review and you want some Star Wars Legends ones, they are on my Patreon. But also it helps keep the gears on turning and uh, keeps the engine running, as it were. And it helps me just buy better equipment. All of the Patreon money I've ever had all just goes into running costs for the show. And recently I've been saving up for a new video camera. So for all my interviews and stuff, hopefully the quality will be a little bit better there. But enough rambling. Thank you for listening as always, my friends. I appreciate you all. Check out details in the show notes of everything else I'm up to. Guest spots like Nomeo and Juliet are back to the filmography, Spider-Dan the Secret Boars, and lots of other bits and pieces. I'll talk to you next week with whatever I decide on doing. Just keep an eye on the feeds, subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And as always, may the force be with you. The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.